Right. Hey, I'm going to encourage you if you've got a smartphone or a Bible. Those are like relics these days. But if you got one of those things, open it up and find Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Um, while you find that, um, man, I'm just so encouraged to uh, be with the church this morning. And um, I don't know, I walk with the Lord just like uh, a lot of you do, and uh, this week has been one of those weeks where um, so many people are hurting in so many different ways. And um, when we are the family of God, uh, we bear with one another, and that takes on all kinds of different shapes and forms, and uh, I'm just grateful to be a part of this church family and uh, to see uh, one another loving one another, and uh, it's so good. So we're going to be in Mark 10, and um, I'm going to I'm gonna use a word that I was, uh, I wasn't sure if I should use it or not, but I asked Megan Adams, who leads our worship, and she said it would be okay. So here's the idea that I want you to walk away with uh, when we get done with all this. That Jesus pays up when you're pooped out. <laughs> Jesus pays up when you're pooped out. And... Um, I pray that today, um, as we uh, dig into Mark 10, that um, our faith is encouraged and that our faith is encouraged in a way that we begin to raise the bar on what we expect of ourselves as Christians. And um, so with that, uh, Mark 10, let me tell a story um, because I think, I think this story that happened in my life helps to illustrate the idea that many of us as American Christians uh, believe, and that's that we can manage our own sin. We can manage uh, what's going on in our own lives. So when I was a little boy, um, my mom bought me one of those kites uh, that you get at the dollar store, right? It's plastic. It's got a little, you know, I'm not even sure how they make string that small, but it's, you know, it's on there. And so she got me one of those kites. It was Ninja Turtles because I loved Ninja Turtles. I had all the Ninja Turtles action figures. It was Ninja Turtles, and she gave me this instruction. She said, wait until I can help you put this thing together or the string is going to get knotted up. So I was a really good child and I waited until my mother, no, no, right? I got home from school one day, mom wasn't home yet, and I rushed to my bedroom and I grabbed the Ninja Turtle kite and I got it out of its package and I started trying to put it together. It's amazing how this happens. Mom tells you things are going to end up in a knot. Thing ends up in a knot, right? So here I have this brand new kite that mom told me not to get out of the package. I know that she's going to want to play with this kite, and it's in a knot. I hear the front door. Mom's home. So I do the most intelligent thing possible, and I take the kite, and I wad it up in a ball, and I shove it in the top drawer of my dresser. That's not going to make the problem worse, right? So mom comes in. Hey, mom, how are you? Good. Small talk, blah, blah, blah. You ready to play with your kite? I don't know where it is, Mom. You gave it to me the other day, and I just, I'm not sure where I put it, and I, I don't know where it is. Really? What's going on? Like, it's got to be in your room somewhere. So she goes in, does a quick look, doesn't find it. I'm like, whew, whew, thank goodness. So then I go in. The next day after school, I got a few minutes before Mom gets home, and I'm trying to undo the knot, and guess what? 
you make it worse, right? Because I, I actually ended up learning in the course of this story that whenever you like loop the kite through, you're not making the knot better, you're making it worse. So this knot gets worse and worse and worse. This went on for several days, and finally I hit that breaking point, right? I hit that breaking point where I knew like, I can't, I can't keep this from mom. I'm not gonna get the knot out of the kite string. And so finally she comes home one day and I got big old gator tears in my eyes. I'm like, mom. I did what you told me not to do. I got the kite out. It's in a big knot. It's been in my top drawer. She's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> right? And I tell that story because I think um, for me, and I'm going to guess that for many of us, we attempt to manage life, we attempt to manage the sin in our life in much the same way. God says, ah, don't touch that. Stay away from that. You're like, oh, it'll be okay. I got this. I got this, right? And then before you know it, things are knotted up. And then when he's calling us, having our morning devotional, we're getting in the word. It's like, hey, what happened to that kite I wanted to bless you with? I don't know. I lost it. All the meantime, you're hiding it in the drawer. So the question becomes, what's our breaking point? When do we poop out? And the good news is, is that whenever we do, Jesus pays up. Jesus pays up when we're pooped out. And we're going to see that in this last leg of Jesus' journey with his disciples from Galilee to Jerusalem. We've been talking about this idea of, of moving out, how uh, when things are changing in our world, whether that's losing someone close to us, whether it's moving, uh, maybe physically moving into a new home or a new city, uh, maybe things are changing in our season of life, maybe we're getting ready to have a child, uh, whenever something is changing, we're in this nebulous time where we're either going to, to move out to something that matters or we're going to get sucked back into this life of sin. We're going to throw things in the drawer and they're going to get knotted up. And so as we've been journeying with them, we've seen how we have to get ourselves ready for that change. And, and oftentimes it calls us to purge things out of our life. And today we're going to talk about the idea of, of pushing through. And when we hit that breaking point and we're just tired of moving, but we know that this new thing is coming whether we want it to or not, we have to increase our faith and believe even more in the Son of God. So, Mark 10, verse 32. It says, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, so they're getting close, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were astonished, but those who followed him were afraid. Do you ever feel that tension in your life? Jesus is amazing. He's astonishing, but yet you're afraid of what he's going to ask you to do. And he says, taking the twelve aside again, he began to tell them the things that would happen to him. See, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And then they will hand him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And he will rise after three days. This is the third time that Jesus has said this to the disciples. And so by now, it's like this is a reality. This change is happening. This is going to happen. And so now we've got to deal with whatever feelings or emotions or concerns that we have, right? The disciples know that this is a, a real thing, and it says they are amazed, astonished, and afraid. It's the point of no return. For us, it's the realities of what you're leaving behind. You know that this new life in Christ, that this thing that's changing in you to make you more like Christ, it's, it's going to be left behind. And you're amazed at what it has been. 
But at the same time, there's the, the excitement of what you're heading towards, and, and that's beginning to smack you in the face. You're afraid of facing all the things that you're still unsure of. But we act like we're in control anyway, right? We act like we'll just throw that thing back in the drawer, and eventually we'll be able to get it out and, and undo all the knots that are in our life. James and John were good pictures of that as we continue in verse 35. So James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached him and they said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. Pretty bold. Jesus says, What do you want me to do for you? And they answered him, Allow us to sit at your right and at your left in your glory. So Jesus said to them, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or to be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We're able, they told him. We got this. I can undo the knots in my own life. I can manage my sin. I can be a good enough person. We're able, they told him. And Jesus said to them, Well, you will drink the cup I drink, and you will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those for whom it has been prepared. We can do it. Four little words that we tell ourselves over and over again, and, and Satan eventually uses those to convince us that we don't need this Jesus. We tell ourselves that pushing through is all about willpower and effort and the power of the human spirit. And we forget about the Holy Spirit that's given to us by Jesus Christ. It's one of the cleverest tricks that Satan uses against us. Thank goodness the good news is that Jesus pays up when we poop out. And even Jesus knew this, right? It's like, you're not going to be able to do this. You're not going to be able to handle this. Are you sure that you want to sit at my right and my left? Are you sure that you want to have that kind of power and authority and responsibility? That we got this. We can handle this. So Jesus goes on. Verse 42. Jesus called them over and he said to them, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. But it's not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. This is the point he's been trying to drill into them on this journey, right? And then he says this. It's the crux of the whole Gospel of Mark. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. A ransom. What is that? And what does that mean? If Jesus is paying a ransom, that means that someone is holding us captive. Someone is holding us captive. Satan is kidnapping your life. When we are stuck in sin, when we are convinced that we can manage our own sin, when we believe that in our own power we can do it, Satan is holding us captive. But Jesus paid the ransom cost. First Timothy verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 5, 6 for, says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. It says also in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, it says, for you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your fathers. That's a, 
Like, that's a crazy statement, right? You were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your father's life. Don't you talk about my daddy. He was a good man. And yet we all, we all deal with the sins of our family. He redeemed you not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. In other words, he redeems us not with money or with things of this world, but with himself, with his blood. I wanted to try and create a picture of what it would look like just to redeem my life with, um, with money. And so I began thinking, okay, if, uh, if I made Kentucky's minimum wage for the average lifespan of a human being, how much would it cost to redeem my entire life, to pay for every hour that I lived? This is fun math. 71 years, right? That's 25,915 days. That's 621,960 hours of life. The minimum wage is $7.25 an hour. So, if I got paid minimum wage to do whatever, whatever the job was by Jesus for 71 years, it would cost a little over $4.5 million to redeem my life. And when Jesus Christ hung on the cross, he did that for every person, every human being that would ever walk the face of this planet. And he did it in an even greater way because we're worth a whole lot more than minimum wage to Jesus. It's crazy to think about the price that was paid, the value of Christ's blood in our lives. And yet he pays up when we're pooped out, when we feel like we're, we're at the end, when we are giving up, when, when we've tried to manage it as long as we can, and we say, I'm done, I don't know what else to do in this life, I feel like I can't go any farther, Jesus steps in and says, it's okay, I'll pay the ransom. I know he thinks he can do it on his own, but I'll pay this for him. Thank God. <clears throat> Nick Ripkin is a former IMB missionary, uh, IMB stands for International Mission Board. And when, we, uh, when you give here at Christ Community, part of your offering goes to support this organization. They send more missionaries around the world than any organization in the world. And uh, Nip, Nick Ripkin, is, uh, he, he was an IMB missionary, and he's an expert on the persecuted church. So this guy, um, persecuted church, if you're, if you're unfamiliar, these are believers who are beaten, imprisoned, tortured, abused for their faith in Jesus. And uh, he has sat with, and interviewed more than 600 persecuted church leaders. That's like three times the amount of people sitting in this room, okay? One person at a time, he sat with them and heard the stories of how they were persecuted for their faith. And um, I, got to, uh, I got to hear him speak this week, and I heard him share the story of a man named Dimitri. And um, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm a really calculated person. I think a lot about how things go together and I can't figure out entirely what to do with this story other than to know that I'm supposed to tell it. <laughs> All right? So, Dimitri. Um, Dimitri lived in, uh, in Russia. And when Nick came to spend time with him, Dimitri invited Nick into his home. And he showed him a chair against the outer wall of his home. And he said, you can sit here. 
And then he said, that's where I was when they came into my house and took me to jail for 17 years. And Nick said, you got any other chairs? <laughs> I'll take another one. And he's like, sit down. He's like, okay, got it. So he sits down in this chair, and Dimitri started from the beginning. Dimitri had been an engineer. He was successful in the culture's eyes. His wife was a teacher. They had two boys. The nearest church uh, was three days' walk for them. And um, you weren't allowed to miss work in, in Russia to go to church. So, you know, imagine how much he got to go to church because that's like a whole week. Three days there, church for a day, three days back. So one day he asked his wife if they could have some friends over for Bible study. It's like, I don't know what this looks like or what this means, but like we don't ever get to go to church. Like what if we just had some people over, read the Bible, prayed, started singing some songs? And he was really afraid that his wife was going to be like, are you crazy? Are you nuts? And his wife had been waiting on him to ask. So she agreed with joy. And um, they thought they were starting a Bible study. And what they didn't know is that they were starting a church. And they had no clue what was on the other side of that. So around 25 people, they became regulars, right? They start coming to their home. And that's when things started to change. The government found out. And um, crazy how this works. All of a sudden, within a week, Dimitri was no longer an engineer, his wife was no longer a teacher, and his kids had been kicked out of school. And his comment to Nick when he was telling this part of the story was, those are just the small things. I just can't get over this, right? Like, I want you to think, if this week, you, your spouse, lost their jobs, your kids were told that they could no longer go to school because you believed in Jesus, like, I can't even fathom, right? So this is where he is. He said, we just kept meeting in our home, and it, it kept growing. People kept hearing about Jesus, and um, he said, one night there was about 75 people here, and when we were singing, the back door just flung open. The military came in, barreled through the room, and they came right up to Dimitri, and they began to throw him into the wall, beating him, abusing him, asking him to stop. He said, blood ran from his head and his ears and his nose. He said, I'm not, like, not going to stop. So there was an old lady, a grandma, who came up, and she was like, she chastised the military, and that made them stop. <laughs> it's like, they won't do stuff to old people. So old people, if you classify yourself as that, know that you got power in the kingdom of God. <clears throat> so they stopped. They came back. They took him away to a prison, a thousand miles away. He was in a prison, one of the worst prisons in Russia, 1,500 hardened criminals. He said, Nick, of all the persecution that I've faced, the beatings, the floggings, the spitting, all the stuff, he said, of all the things, the thing that was the worst was isolation from the body of Christ. Being a thousand miles from the people that I read the Bible with and that I prayed with and that I sang with. You know, you and I cringe when we hear the severity and brutality of how Dimitri was moved into isolation. And yet, in our culture... So-called Christians are isolating themselves. It's the most powerful kind of persecution there is because it's silent and no one gets angry about it. But one by one, Satan is convincing believers that they can make it on their own, that they don't need the church. If you don't like the songs that a church sings or the way the preacher preaches or the way that you feel when you walk in or the way that you feel when you leave, then you can just go it on your own and you can figure it out, you and Jesus. If you've got something you'd rather do, then you can do that and catch up on church later. 
The pursuits of self-interest are calling him, and with it comes the persecution of isolation. It's so tricky that we don't even identify it as persecution. It's just that this kind of persecution is self-inflicted. So Nick, it's like asking the obvious question, right? He's like, you said you spent 17 years in prison. They're beating you this whole time. Like, how are you sitting here? Like, how are we sitting in this very chair? Dimitri continued. He said, my father taught me two disciplines when I was growing up in the faith that allowed me to pursue and, and prevail and persevere. He said, the first was this. At the first break of light in the prison, I would stand up in my cell and I would raise my hands to God and I would sing my heart song. He's like, what's a heart song? He's like, it was the song that God gave me that carried me through the darkest of days. He said, I sang the same song every day for 17 years. I'd stand up in my cell, raise my hands, and I would sing that song. I worshiped. He said, secondly, anytime that I came across a scrap piece of paper or a piece of charcoal, I would stop and I would write down everything I could remember from God's word. Every song that I'd ever sung, every Bible story I could think of, I would write it. And and, and that was my offering to God. It was the only thing that I had. It was the only way that I could worship. He said, I did these things every day. And it continued for years. The torture, the isolation, the beatings when they would find his writings. The humiliation and jeers when he would stand each morning and sing his heart song. But then the Soviets took the abuse to another level. In year 17, they went to his home and they took his wife's clothing and they took some of her things. And they took a woman who was in jail already and they made her to look like his wife. They dressed her in her things. And they walked her at a distance past Dimitri's cell where he could see them. And they locked her in a room. And for 72 hours, they brought groups of prisoners into that room and he had to hear what was happening. After 72 hours, she died. And they drug her body back in front of Dimitri's cell. He said, I quit. I'm done. I'm pooped out. Bring whatever papers you want me to sign. I will, I will say whatever you want. I've, I've got to go check on my kids. My wife is dead. I'm done. And Nick, as he retold this story, he said, even Jesus needed help carrying the cross. When we are pooped out, when we feel like life is at its very end, in those moments, we can believe more than ever that Jesus is paying the ransom for our life. And if that doesn't inspire us to place a little more faith in him, to trust in him more than we ever have, I don't know what does. But that's not where the story ends. In that very same moment, that church that, that Dimitri had helped to start 17 years ago was still meeting, and they got a sense, a sense that we would call the Holy Spirit, that Dimitri needed their prayers. So they gathered together in the middle of the night in his home and began praying for Dimitri. And Dimitri, while he's sitting in his cell that same night, he said, I just knew I could hear the wife, uh, the voice of my wife and the voice of my kids praying for me and giving me strength. And he said, I just knew that, that when they came in the morning, I was not to sign those papers. And he said, so they came back in the morning with those papers. And he said, I stood up and he said, listen, the Lord has shown me that my wife and my kids are alive and that they're okay. And I will not sign those papers. Get out of my cell. All of a sudden it was his cell and he was kicking them out. 
Get out of my cell. Later that day, he was out in the yard. He said, an entire sheet of blank paper blew into my path. He said, I knew it was from the Lord. And he said, I, I grabbed it and I filled it up as fast as I could and, and I put as many words as I could because it was the greatest offering that I had ever made to the Lord. I wrote down every scripture, every song, all that I could think of and get in my brain and I hung it up high in my cell hoping that they would not find it. But they found it. And when they did, after all the things that they had tried, they just decided to kill him. So they took him from his cell and they began to walk him past these prisoners that he had been singing his heart song in front of for 17 years. And when they got to the door, 1,500 men stood up in their cells, raised their arms, and began to sing the song that he had sung in their presence for 17 years. Jesus shows up. He pays up. He provides. He never changes when we think we are pooped out and done and we quit. That is the good news of the gospel. That whatever your story is, that whatever you're facing, that that wherever you think you are in life, feeling like you want to quit, Jesus is more than enough for you. That he will hold your arms up that he will give you the ability and the strength to praise him if you will simply push through in having faith in God. Do you believe? Do you believe in him? When those men raised their hands and began to sing, the guards were scared. They dropped his arms and they looked at Dimitri and they said, who are you? And he looked back at them and he said, I am a child of the Most High God. His name is Jesus. I am a child of the Most High God. His name is Jesus. And they released him. Nick Ripkin said that of all the people that he has spent time with, Dimitri scared him the most. He said, he scared me because he raised a question inside of me that I couldn't shake. What if this is normal Christianity? What if the story of Dimitri is normal Christianity? And this idea that we have about it in America, where things are good, we're successful, and whatever else comes along with that is not. He said, the, the question that naturally followed next, he's like, listen, I've got a PhD. I've sat with 600 people in the persecuted church. And when I sit with Dimitri, the question that comes in my heart is, if this is normal Christianity, do I even know the Most High God? He said, he scares me. Church, we must stop persecuting ourselves by living a mediocre, on-my-time, isolated life. We must push through those things in faith to the feet of Jesus. We must crave him and him alone. Normal Christianity cannot just be having a Bible, being baptized, and making it to church when we can. Now, 
Here's the thing, we will not all be like Dimitri tomorrow, but we can all raise the bar on our expectation of ourself in our faith journey. We can have more faith in Jesus today to provide for our basic needs in a world that says we need one of everything. We can have more faith in Jesus today to guide our children's journey and calling in a world that that believes that success saves them. We can have more faith in Jesus today to preserve our marriages in a culture that says divorce is okay. We can have more faith in Jesus to give us strength in the face of the harshest difficulties. We can raise the bar, church. We can do it because we know and are children of the Most High God. That was the lesson that Jesus was trying to teach his disciples between Galilee and Jerusalem. And as they got close to Jerusalem, they met one more man. I think that man perhaps gives some of us a picture of who we are. Mark 10, beginning in verse 46. This is the group of them that came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many warned him to keep quiet, but he was crying out all the more, Have mercy on me, son of David. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called the blind man and they said to him, Have courage, get up. He's calling for you. He threw off his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. And then Jesus answered him, What do you want me to do for you? Rabbi, the blind man said to him, I want to see. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. Not your ability to make a living. Not all the good things about you. Not even the fact that you stood up and came to me. Your faith has saved you. Immediately, he could see, and he began to follow Jesus on the road. It is so easy in life to be like this blind beggar. To know that we want Jesus, but to not be able to see him. But when he calls, and when you hear his voice, will you have the faith, will you have the courage to reach out, to stand up, and to go to him? Will you persevere? Will you push through? This morning, I want you to be sensitive to what God is saying to you. What the Lord is is teaching you, what the Lord is showing you about your own life. And if he is saying to you that you don't know him, that he doesn't know you. 
if he is saying to you, come, follow me, then don't sit on the side of the road. Get up, come, follow him in all courage. Raise the bar on your faith. Believe that Jesus will do more in your life if you say, I, I give up, I'm done. I'm not gonna try to manage this thing by myself anymore. Believe that on the other side of giving up, Jesus will do more and he will pay up everything that is needed for your life in him. This morning the band is going to come. They're going to sing and lead us in song. And I, we don't usually do this, but I just want to invite people. If you just need to come and, and talk to the Lord, like you can come get on your knees right here and just pray. You can pray in your seat. You can pray anywhere you want. But if you need a place to get up and move and say, I'm getting off the side of the road, I'm blind, and Lord, I want to see clearly. I want to see my life. I want to see the things you have for me as you see them, and I need to act on that. Come on. Come pray. Let's pray together. Let's seek the Lord together. Let's raise the bar on our faith together. Because if we will just give up, if we will acknowledge that we're pooped out, Jesus, Jesus steps in. And he begins doing more than we could ever ask or imagine in our lives. Push through to be at the feet of Jesus today, I ask and I pray. If you have that relationship with Christ, each Sunday we come forward and we take a piece of the bread and we dip it in the juice. And when we do that, we remember how Jesus paid up with his very life. His blood spilled out, more valuable than gold or silver. And we remember that by, by taking that. Respond to the Lord today. Don't be the blind beggar who never gets up. Respond in faith. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, your word um, divides between joint and marrow. It guides us into all truth. And so, Father, I pray that... Uh, I pray that through your spirit and through the word... God, we would, we would recognize that your son Jesus is the king of the world and that we can be your children by faith in him. Help us to push aside the things of this world in this moment and push through to what you have for us, Lord. Give us the courage to act and to pray. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.